The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. We are in week three of this series we've been in this Christmas called Misfits. And uh, what basically we've been doing is each week we've been looking at uh, some of the circumstances and the characters of the original Christmas story. And uh, hopefully what you're discovering with us is that a lot of the people that were involved were not only very ordinary, but they were very human, very fallible, and uh, actually very broken. And, uh, but that, that's actually the point. That's the, the point of Christmas, that God came into the world, into the lives uh, of broken people. He actually came through the lives of broken people, misfits, uh, just like you and me, for misfits, just like you and me. Well, today we're going to look at another couple of misfits, literally an older couple, uh, a couple that sometimes when we read the Christmas story, when we talk about the Christmas story, we kind of skip over Luke chapter 1, so we kind of miss out a little bit on this couple, uh, but they're a part of the story. Uh, it's an older couple by the name of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and uh, follow along as I read verses 5 through 7. Listen to this. In the time of Herod the king uh, of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Uh, both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Now, the King James Version says they were well stricken in years. Uh, the New Living Translation simply says they were both very old. So we're not really sure how old they are, uh, but it's safe to say that they were, uh, you know, qualified for social security, okay? This is an, this is an elderly couple. Uh, but then added to that, we're also told that they were childless. Uh, Elizabeth was barren. They're, they're beyond childbearing years, unable to have kids. And, and then the other thing that you can kind of surmise is that they were probably pretty poor, okay? You know, Zechariah was not the senior pastor of Temple Jerusalem, okay? He, he was just a simple priest out in the middle of nowhere, just serving God faithfully. Older couple, faithfully serving God, no children, very little means, um, and yet they're a part of the Christmas story. They're in the Bible. Why? Because they're faithful. They obeyed God. They trusted him. Look at verses 8 through 10. Once Zechariah's division was on duty, uh, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time uh, for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, let me set the context here, because you probably have no idea what in the world's going on here. Uh, Israel had, at this time, 18,000 priests, okay? And they were divided into 24 divisions of 750 priests each. And each one of these divisions would get to go to Jerusalem twice a year for the possibility of serving and ministering in the temple, okay? So picture this. All 750 would come together, and basically it says that they... Uh, uh, were chosen by lot. In other words, they, they, they rolled the dice, literally, and let God be the one who selected who got to be the priest on this day, on this time of the year, got to do the big job, okay? To be the man. Now, the big job was, was going into the temple, you know, offering incense and prayer at the daily sacrifice. I mean, th this was a big, big deal in the life of, of a priest. And, and once you did that, wow, you were set for life. 
You, you, you are considered uh, holy and blessed. And, and it was a one-time thing. You never, ever got to do it again. So this is a big, big deal. Now, now, now picture this. Okay, so every year, and again, Zechariah's an old dude. He would, he would make this trip to Jerusalem. They would roll the dice every single year. Loser, 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 okay? I mean, we have, we have no idea how many years he'd been making this trip, hoping that he might be the priest finally who would get picked to do this job. Could be 30, 40, 50 years. I mean, some guys lived their whole life, and they were never, ever, ever picked. And then finally, one year, one day, Zechariah is an old man. They, they roll the dice, the lots are cast, and Zechariah, it is your day. I mean, it's, it's, I mean finally, it's his turn. He, he's won the priest lottery, okay? So, so picture this. It's his big moment. He goes in goes into the temple, he does what a priest is supposed to do, he burns the incense, he closes his eyes, and he prays. Now I believe he probably prayed for at least two things. One thing was fairly, fairly standard for priests to pray, something like, God, you know, deliver our nation, deliver our people, send the one that the prophet you know, has, has promised, you know, send our Savior. And then secondly, I believe that he prayed God, please give me and Elizabeth a baby. Just like you did for for Abraham and Sarah. Now get this. He opens his eyes, and this is what happens. Verses 11 and 12. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled. And gripped with fear. I mean, we're lucky he didn't pass out and die. I mean, he's just an old guy. Could have had a heart attack on the spot and just dropped dead. Okay, but that didn't happen. Verses 13 through 17 explain that the angel said uh, to Zechariah that him and Elizabeth are going to have a baby. And they're to call him John. Which means God is gracious. And so he and Elizabeth are going to be the parents of the forerunner of the Messiah, we know him today as who? John who? John the Baptist, right, remember? You know, when Jesus starts his earthly ministry and John is out baptizing for repentance in the Jordan River and Jesus comes walking up and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. So, what's crazy though, now again, again, all that context is going on here is Zechariah's unbelievable response Verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. I mean, I read that and I go, but how can you be sure of this, Zechariah? I mean, how can you be sure? I mean, haven't you been asking for a baby for decades? And today, on this day, you won the priest lottery. I mean, this is your one shot. You are, you are in front of the incense, the presence of God. You prayed for a baby and bam! An angel of the Lord appeared and said, yes, 
you are going to have a son. I mean, what else do you need? What else assurance do you need? I mean, you know, well, his lack of faith has some consequences. Verses 19 through 20. Listen to this. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the proper time. Now get this. So Zechariah questions the truth. The truth of the word of the Lord, the truth of the angel's words, and now he's going to have nine months where he can't speak any words. You know, nine months where he's going to have to listen. You know, think about that. Zechariah wanted a sign. Well, now he's going to have nine months to use sign language, right? I mean, this is crazy. Now, look, look at verses 21 through 25. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering, you know, why he stayed so long in the temple. They're like, okay, something's not right. Something's going down. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them. But he was unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for, for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So here's Elizabeth. What does she do? Well, the Bible says nothing for five months. She's just, you know, she's worshiping God. She's rubbing her belly. You know, she's making baby blankets and setting up the nursery. And I think she's rejoicing that she's got a mute husband. You know, right? I mean, think about that. I mean, she's like, thank you, God, for this baby. And thank the Lord. I'm going to win every argument for nine months, right? I mean, how would you, pregnant ladies, wouldn't that be cool? Your husband was just a shut mouth for like, for nine months. Couldn't say a thing. Um, so think, I mean, that's a kind of a crazy story, kind of a wild story there. Um, she is the cousin uh, of Mary and you see a lot about her a little bit later on, but what in the world does all that have to do with us today? And uh, maybe more to the point, what does, how does God going to use any of that to speak to us today? Well, for starters, I think every single person in this room has experienced some sort of barrenness in your own life. Everybody here today, you've all had some brokenness, some pain. Now, for some, it might be actual childlessness. For others, it might be the pain of a broken marriage or the loneliness that comes after losing someone that you love. It might be a physical problem that might not go away. For others, there are all kinds of brokenness and pain. You know, public failure, personal feelings of rejection or inadequacy, financial hardship, just being exhausted, feeling trapped, feeling afraid. I mean, the, the list just goes on and on and on. My point is, is that everyone here has had 
or will have some sort of emptiness in your life, some sort of barrenness. So is there something that we can learn from the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth that can help us in in those times? I I think so. I want to share at least three life lessons with you to think about this morning uh, as as we deal with our own brokenness and barrenness. And there's some things that we see here in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth that I think can help us. Here's number one. You are not forgotten. You are not forgotten. You know, do you think Zechariah and Elizabeth ever had days where they wondered whether or not God had forgotten them? I mean, don't forget, these were faithful people just kind of serving God faithfully in anonymity. And, and, and I think at some point they must have wondered whether or not, you know, it's all worth it. My guess is they, they ask questions like, you know, has God overlooked us? Is God upset with me? Why is he ignoring us? I mean, they're old. They're childless. They're tired. I mean, they had been living and serving and and ministering to others in obscurity for a long, long time. I mean, no doubt, at some point, they must have been tempted to think, well, you know, God's got bigger things on his agenda than two, two old, ordinary people like us. Maybe he's forgotten us. Well, they were in for a surprise. Listen, it can be tempting in times of struggle to think that you are all alone. You're not. You know, it's difficult for a person who wants to have a child to see their friends having children. It's difficult for anybody who may be going through a time of emptiness to see other people And maybe other people, quite frankly, who aren't as faithful, appearing to prosper and and get ahead while you're struggling just to do everything to stay afloat. And so in those hard, barren times, I think it's normal to wonder, well, does God care? Is he there? Has he forgotten me? I think if this story teaches us anything, it's a reminder that God doesn't forget anyone. That his faithfulness really is ever-present. You know, Christmas is this beautiful message to the entire world that God has come into the world because he loves you. You've not been forgotten. Christ came for broken, barren people. I'm reminded of another wonderful passage of Scripture, and I read it earlier. Listen to it again. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, helpless, weak, badly broken, hurting, alone, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you, that's me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though some 
a good man, someone might dare to possibly die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen to, the, uh, listen to this passage, Romans 8.32, out of the message. If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the very worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? Man, that's the story of Christmas, that God has not forgotten you. It's the story of Emmanuel, God with us. And the God who is with us has promised that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But there's another lesson that we need to embrace as well. God's plan is sometimes painful. Now what do I mean by that? Well, his plan for our lives often requires pain and difficulty. You know, I could dress it up and say it requires training and discipline. And many times that's not pleasant. It's painful. Hebrews 12, 11 says this, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but what? Painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see, there's not a person in this room that gets to sidestep that. Not if you're loved by God. Not if you're one of His. You know, in that, that same chapter, we're, we're told that God disciplines those that He loves. Now, when we hear the word discipline, typically we think of, you know, as far as parenting, you know, correction, right? Now, obviously, that's a part of discipline, correction. But sometimes He brings or allows the discipline of perfection into our lives. Why? Because he disciplines those that he loves. Now listen to this next verse. You want to hear something that will blow your mind? Even Jesus had to learn some things through suffering. Hebrews 5.8, listen to this. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he what? Through what he suffered. Man, that blows me away. Even Jesus didn't get a pass from hardship or pain. In fact, you, you make your way through the Bible. You read story after story. What you see is that God many times, many times, most of the time, he prepared his people, you and me, with pain. He perfected them through the crucible of suffering. Moses spent 40 years tending sheep on the backside of a desert before he encountered God at the burning bush. I mean, David, remember, we know him, King David, right? But, wow, he was chased around the wilderness for years on the run from King Saul so that he could be prepared to be the king. You get into the New Testament, you read about the, the disciples and the apostles, and their story is the same. They went through all kinds of heartache and, and suffering. They were worn, they were beaten, they were stoned, they were thrown in prison. In Acts 14.22, we're told that Paul and Barnabas, it says, were strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. He said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. In other words, God uses pain and difficulty, not just to correct us, but to perfect us, 
to prepare us. Why? Go back to Hebrews 12, 11. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at this time, again, but painful. Listen to this. Later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness for those and peace for those who are trained by it. Now, again, we miss the agricultural reference there a little bit, but what he's saying is that God uses hardship and difficulty to grow us. In other words, he uses all of that to deepen our roots. Now, I don't know a lot about planting and farming, obviously, but what I do know is that it's the dry times that cause the root of a plant to go deeper. In fact, think about this. Those of you who plant, you know, what what happens when there's an overabundance of rain and water? What can happen? Well, the plants actually can become vulnerable. You know, the root system doesn't develop, and so it stays concentrated right near the top, near the surface. And so when a strong wind comes through, over they go, because they don't have those deep, substantial roots. And many times, God strengthens our faith by deepening our roots. And he does it through the barren times, the hard times. The times marked by pain and adversity. Those times when we're tempted to cry out, God, where are you? I'm sure Zachariah and Elizabeth felt that. But God corrects us and he perfects us. Because he loves you. So God's faithfulness is ever-present. He has not forgotten about you. He's not left you. His plan, however, sometimes is painful, but he uses that pain to deepen our roots, to grow us. And then one more lesson. God's timing is always perfect. I'll be honest with you. You know, I've been a pastor for 26 years now here, and there's sometimes, I mean, honestly, many times, I have no idea what in the world God is doing. I don't always see, I don't always understand why he does the things he does and how he does them and why he does them. And I bet that's the case for Zachariah and Elizabeth. I mean, why in the world did God make them wait like that? I mean, here they are. They're, they're old in years, right? I mean, I even think about that. I mean, because people are joking, hey, y'all ready to be grandparents, right? And I'm like, well, they just got married, you know. Let's wait on that a little bit. Maybe, I don't know, but... You know, but the, the, what I hear about grandparenting is that it's awesome. You get to play with them, and then you get to what? Send them home, right? Because you, you're a little bit older, and you don't have as much energy. And I think about, you know, here's Zachariah and Elizabeth. Man, they're, they're old, right? You know, why, I mean, why not before? Why, why wait? Why, did, why didn't God pick somebody different? Why didn't he pick contemporaries of, you know, a younger couple, closer to the age of Mary and Joseph? Uh, a writer that I like, uh, Jim Cimbala, he reflected on this in his, in his book, Fresh Faith. Listen to this. Listen to what he wrote. But what does God do? He cast his eye all across the land of Israel, and he finds a woman who can't have a baby. While all her friends in the little desert town seem to have gotten pregnant, she's childless. Then God waits and waits until she's past childbearing years, so that even if she could have conceived a child, now it's too late. She is doubly disqualified as a special mother for the special child. And the God of heaven says, that's the one. 
As the boy grows up from the time he is nursed to the time he grows into manhood, his mother will be able to tell him over and over the story of his birth, the miracle of his aged parents, all of it reinforcing in his tender mind that nothing is impossible with God. You know, I think so often God waits until a situation goes from bad to worse and he lets it slip over the edge so that you and I have to say, man, there is no way for this thing to ever work out. And so often that's when the omnipotent God intervenes into your barrenness and your hopelessness. And he says, oh, really? Watch this. You know, more than worry about John the Baptist you know, schooling or music lessons or whether or not Zachariah would be spry enough to, you know, play ball or anything else like that. God wanted him to grow up in a godly home of love and worship. And I bet at least once a day that old couple must have looked at that little boy and said, our God is an awesome God. But listen, as exciting as it must have been for Elizabeth and Zechariah, it wasn't the birth of John the Baptist who took away their soul's barrenness. No, there was another baby who was in the process of being born to somebody else who would do that. You know, what makes this story so powerful is that it's a part of the original Christmas story, the birth of the Messiah. And, and ultimately, Jesus is the answer to our brokenness. He's the one who takes away our barrenness. Now, that, that's not to say that God doesn't also give us good gifts sometimes, like children or success or marriage, but the best, the best gift that he gives is the one that ultimately takes away our sadness and our despair and fills our life with, with joy and, 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 and all those things. That The best gift is God himself. It is his presence. Or as Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. The real gift, the ultimate blessing, the answer to my barrenness and my brokenness is the gift of himself which he purchased for me and for you through the sacrificial death of his one and only son, Jesus. You know, so this Christmas, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And enjoy all of them this Christmas. But make sure you find your refuge. You find your strength. You find your meaning in God himself. I'm praying that God is going to use this series to remind us that our Messiah's birth was not just a great religious event in history. No. It is the answer to our whole life struggle. Jesus and Jesus alone takes away your barrenness. Maybe today is the day that you come home to him. 
Maybe today is the day that you open up your heart and you receive that gift. It is as simple and yet as beautiful as a prayer. God is waiting on you to come home. He is waiting you to receive that gift. And you can do it today. You don't have to walk out of here anymore with that sense of barrenness and brokenness. He will take your pain on his shoulders. And he'll walk with you through every difficulty you experience. And he'll use that pain. He'll use that struggle to perfect you, to to enable you to become more and more like he already sees you in him, clean and perfect and brand new. You can have all that and more today if you'll accept it by faith. Why not do it now? Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you for, thank you for your redemptive mission. Thank you for this rescue mission that you, that you sent your son Jesus into this world to be the payment of our sin that he just didn't kind of swoop in and swoop out, that no, he became one of us. He, he became a man. He, he was born as a baby, grew into a man. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and he went to a cross for all of us. Listen, if you're here today, and you have never yet opened up your heart and accepted that gift of salvation, if you have never yet come clean before God, repented of your sin. In other words, you just literally admitted the obvious and said, God, today I turn my back on my former life and I turn towards you. And I put my faith in Christ. You can do that now. Just pray something like this. Say, dear Heavenly Father, God, today I want to come home. I do believe. As much as I understand, as much as I, as I know how, I have a little bit of faith, God. But what I have, I put it all in you. I am a sinner. I've blown it. I have, I have walked away from you. I've pushed you out of my life. But today I come home. I believe. I believe that Jesus really is your son. I believe that he was sent to this earth as a payment, as a sacrifice for my sin. He went to the cross for me. But death and sin in this world could not contain him. And he rose from the dead and he is alive. He has power over sin and death. He is able to forgive me of my sin. He is able to be that that sacrifice for sinners like me. And today I put all of my faith and trust in him and him alone. Thank you for adopting me into your forever family, God. For the rest of my days, I simply want to follow him. I want to become more and more day by day like you now see me. Perfect, forgiven, clean, brand new. God, thank you. Thank you for adopting me into your family. God, I pray for this church. Father, may we be a people who... You know, help us to open our eyes and our hearts to see the hurting, to see the broken, to see the lonely, to see the barren all around us. Help us to love them, serve them, and appoint them to Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 
listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.